Well, thank you, uh, Chandra and Carlos, for leading us in worship. These next few weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to look at the gospel accounts and uh, how they lead us to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, we're continuing in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Some scholars say Mark, as a young man, probably witnessed the scene that I'm going to be talking about today in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, that takes place after the dinner party that Jesus went to at Lazarus with Lazarus and Mary, his sister, and Martha, where Mary uh, poured out that alabaster jar of perfume worth $50,000 and anointed Jesus for his burial. It comes at the point after Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem to uh, the people singing his praises. It's past Palm Sunday. It's already at the, after the Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples uh, that Thursday night. And so... Uh, it's at this point where Jesus has already explained to them many things about who he is and why he came. In fact, at the Passover meal, Jesus takes the bread and the cup that is traditionally used in that Passover meal, and he changes the meaning of it. He says, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. And this cup that I'm drinking is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is telling them that he is about to give his body and his blood for them. But the disciples are somewhat distracted from all of this. They're more concerned about their own life. They're more concerned about themselves and their position. In fact, the gospel accounts say that even before this meal and after this meal, uh, the disciples are talking about Who's the greatest? Who's the uh, most loyal disciple? And uh, they, they want to know what the pecking order is, uh, where they fit in. And so Jesus demonstrates during that Passover meal just what it means to be great and to be, a, to be uh, somebody of importance in his kingdom. And you know what he says. He says the greatest is the servant of all. The greatest one is the one who is willing to lay down their lives for others. And so Jesus demonstrates this by taking a basin of water and a towel and going to each of the disciples and washing their feet. And while he's doing this, he's demonstrating that he is, even though he is their master and teacher, he is also their friend, and somebody who loves them and is their servant. Jesus demonstrated the uniqueness of his kingdom. Where authority is based in humility, where greatness is defined by servanthood, and where wisdom is demonstrated by love and sacrifice for others. So as Jesus continues to move forward towards his arrest and trial and crucifixion, he understands that his disciples will all desert him and abandon him. He knows this, and yet it probably hurt him deeply. And when he explains that he is, as the shepherd is going to be struck down and the sheep are going to be scattered using an Old Testament prophecy, 
uh, Peter uh, objects to this. It says in Mark 14, it says, Peter declared, even if I if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself, Peter, will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all the others did the same thing. They all joined in and said, Lord, we would never disown you. We would never desert you. We will always be there for you. You see, Jesus is facing betrayal. He's facing abandonment. He's facing rejection. And today I want to focus on what Jesus is going through, suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he's about to be arrested. And so uh, listen as we watch the LUMO Project as it reenacts this gospel story from Mark chapter 14. It's being read while they are acting it out. So take a listen to this. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12 appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus. 
that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. When you read this account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's as if Jesus almost is weak. He's hesitant. He's afraid. He's agitated. By the evening, he's in a deep prayer, pleading with his father, seeing if there's another way that this hour could pass. This, this hour of prayer um, is, is disturbing to him. Now, whenever you see Jesus praying, or whenever you read the accounts of Jesus praying, he prays all night long. There's many times when he prays all night long, comes away from that prayer time. One time, he walks on water. He calms a storm. He's able to do uh, amazing things as he prays. And he is communing with his heavenly father, and his father is telling him what he wants him to do next. But in this scene in Gethsemane, in this scene when we're looking here, there's something disturbing that's happening here. Jesus is asking for his disciples to pray with him. He doesn't want to pray alone right now. There's something that is going on deep in his soul. He's being terrorized by something. Look at what it says in Mark 13, uh, 14, 33, and 34. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply depressed or distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. You see, Jesus is suffering psychologically. Jesus is in the grip of trembling horror as he faces the dreadful prospect of what lays ahead. He's pleading with his three disciples, can you stay here and pray with me? And what happens? They fall asleep. He wakes them up. He says, please stay and keep watch with me. And they fall asleep again. And what is Jesus praying? What is he saying? You know, there's a, a few prayers of Jesus praying out loud. There's about five prayers recorded in the scripture of exactly what Jesus prays. And this is one of them. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 14, 35 and 36. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You notice here that Jesus is saying that Jesus fell, falls to the ground and he begins to pray. Most rabbis stand and pray. But when you're desperate, when you're in lament, you fall to your knees or you lay down in agony with loud cries. The Bible says Jesus did pray with loud cries, asking uh, if there's any other way, but not my will, your, your will be done, Lord. 
And the father here is having to do what no father should do, and that is to sacrifice his son. The son is looking to Abba, Father. Jesus is using the most intimate form, Daddy, when he's praying. He's saying, Lord, Daddy, please, if there's some other way. And, and the father is not responding. And Jesus is disturbed. You know, he's struggling here. He was so confident before, but at this moment, he's struggling. You know, we've all heard of heroes who have died courageously, who sacrificed themselves. They either fall on a grenade for their fellow soldiers or bodyguards who take a bullet for the person they're protecting. And men and women throughout history were killed because of their convictions. They lived and died for those convictions. Law enforcement officers, firemen. I think of the towers at 9-11 as firemen ran up those towers and policemen did, sacrificing their lives to save others. Why in Mark 14 do we witness our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so overwhelmed with trouble, sorrow, and anguish? Why is he so disturbed within him, himself? Do you know why Jesus is so distressed and troubled? This is so important for us to understand. It'll give you a deeper appreciation for his death and resurrection. You see, from everlasting to everlasting, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have been three in one. Uh, three yet distinct persons, but one. And they had this beautiful fellowship and connectedness. But as Jesus approaches his death, there's a separation that's going to happen when Jesus dies on that cross. There's already a beginning of the Father turning his face away from his Son. Why is that? Because Jesus, the perfect Son of God, is going to become sin. He's going to bear our sin. He's going to take everything that we deserve and place it on himself. Not only betrayal and abandonment and rejection from his disciples. It's even, you know, just because they fall asleep, Jesus is not so much agitated about that as much as he is troubled about his father turning his face away from him. It's evening, and Jesus, for the first time when he's praying, hears nothing but silence. God the Father is on mute. There's no communication between them. Jesus is asking the Father, if there is another way, is there another way for me to take the sins of the world upon my shoulders? Show me, Lord. But God has already spoken. It's the reason Jesus came to die. He came as a ransom for us. At this moment, E.A. Carson says this, at this moment, when he was experiencing the abyss of alienation from the Father, he chose to yield up his life a ransom for many. Not my will, but your will be done, Father. The Gospel writer Luke tells us that Jesus was in, in such intense agonizing prayer that he sweat drops of blood. There's a medical condition for this called Hematidrosis, when a person is in intense mental anguish, 
when they're suffering stress or suffering physical or emotional abuse. It can be come out in their face and in their body. What happens is the blood vessels, the small blood vessels break and they bleed through the sweat glands. Pastor and author J.D. Greer shares the story of a father whose young son fell into an unattended swimming pool. The father saw what no father should see. He saw his son at the bottom of the pool, lifeless. He dove in after him, brought him up, called the paramedics, and when he brought his son up, he saw his son had, was blue because of no oxygen, but he also saw all around his face little spots of blood. He asked the medical examiner what that was. What, what was his young son? What had happened to his young son? And he said, probably what had happened is when your son fell into that pool, your little boy fell into that pool, and he could not get out. And as he was drowning, he was crying out, probably, save me, daddy, save me, daddy, save me. And he fell and became unconscious. The blood vessels broke around his face and lips. You see, this is the type of praying Jesus was doing. He was crying out to his father. Hebrews 5 says, 5 7 says this While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with loud cries and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. You see, the father is not uh, stopping. What is happening? The father is not diving in to save Jesus. The father is turning away. I love the words of the song by Stuart Townsend. He said he had been meditating on the cross and what it cost the father to give up his beloved son, especially to a torturous death on the cross. And he wrote these words. I'll just read the first uh, stanza for you. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. You see, Jesus did all of this for us. One of the greatest chapters in the Old Testament is Isaiah 53, and it shares what Jesus was going through in the Garden of Gethsemane, in his betrayal, in his abandonment, in his rejection, in his arrest, and finally his crucifixion. It says this, look, listen to this. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own, and yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. 
know, what's amazing about this prophetic passage in the Bible is that over 700, it was written over 700 years before Christ was born, before the invention of crucifixion, yet it reads like an eyewitness account of Jesus' last days on earth. You see, it also tells a story. It was God's plan from the beginning of time to send his son into this world of sin to pay for our sin. Jesus died to set us free. He took the punishment for you and me. Jesus is taking the punishment for our sin. Jesus is saying, I'll pay the ransom. Whatever it costs, I will pay it, and it will cost a lot. I'll pay with my suffering. I'll pay with the very lifeblood so that Al, so that Lori, so that Peter, put your name in there so that you could go free, to be forgiven. You see, Jesus does not protest Judas's betrayal. He does it for us. Jesus does not protest the abandonment by his followers. He does it for us. When Jesus takes the cup, when he's praying, take this cup from me, but not your will, but not my will, your will be done. He does it for us. The NIV commentary says this, Jesus overcomes the silence, fights off human temptation to do as he wills, and through prayer acquiesces to to God's will. You see, through prayer, he submits to whatever God wants. When Jesus is falsely accused, when he's lied about, when he's unjustly condemned, he does it for you and for me. When Jesus is beaten, spit upon, when he does not retaliate, he stays the course. He does it for you and he does it for me. Mark chapter 14 says this, they all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. They mocked Jesus. They beat Jesus with closed fists. They just didn't slap him around. They were angry at him. They took all of their anger and poured it on Jesus. And he did it for us. You see, why did he do it? You see, why did the Father and the Son do this for us? Because they had their sights on something far greater. They wanted to bring us into their family. They wanted to make us sons and daughters of God. He entered our world He entered into a world where people were too proud to come to him. He entered into a world where people rejected him. He entered into a world where people were uh, too busy with their own things to humble themselves and come before him. And he did it in love. He still did it in love. And that's the amazing thing about the gospel and the story of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us. That even although he was betrayed and abandoned and rejected, he continued to love us. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21 says about this, about the message of the gospel. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Do you know that Jesus is still speaking today in 2021? He's still speaking to people to come back to him. He's still calling people with open arms to come to him, to humble themselves before him, and he wants to forgive them. He wants to bless them. He wants to place his life and power in their lives. If we'll only humble ourselves. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, to become a sin offering for us. The Father gave his one and only Son for us. And so what's our response? Our response is to come back to God. Our response is to humble ourselves before the Lord. Our response is to be uh, thankful for what God has done for us through Jesus Christ says this in Romans 5, 8, but God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, there's a lot of talk going on about Christ's second coming when he returns and renews all things, the heaven and the, the new earth. It could be in our lifetime. You know, the pandemic that we're experiencing is a global event. It's a wake-up that God is giving to all people everywhere to turn to him, to cry out to him for his mercy and his love, for his healing. You know, he first came as a suffering servant to ransom us, to give his very life for us. And when he comes again, he's coming as the King of kings and Lord of lords to execute his justice on this earth. And so we live right in between those two time periods. When he first came and when he's coming back again, it's called the age of the church. It's called the, the time when we have this period where we can turn to God, repent of our sins, and ask him to be Lord and Savior of our lives. But it's also a time when God calls his people, the church, and that means the church, actually, the Greek word means ekklesia. It actually means the called out ones, the ones that have been called out from darkness into light, the ones that have been called out from, uh, from sin to mercy and grace and living in this. He calls us to be his ambassadors. He calls us to be the people that will speak and plead for others to come back to God. You know, I believe that's why God has called us as a church to be here in this location in Long Island. He wants us to be his tools to call out to other people that we know. Maybe it's in school. Maybe it's in our, at our workplace. Maybe it's in our neighborhood. Maybe it's a stranger uh, that you haven't met yet. But God has divine appointments for all of us. It's why we have the Alpha course going in our church now. It's going to start April 6th. We want to invite people 
to discover who God is, why he's made them, why he's called them, the purpose for their lives, to answer the deep, basic questions that everybody is asking, but to find the answers in the person, in the presence of Jesus Christ. Jesus came so that we could have life. And he wants us, he wants to use us as his tools to spread his love to others. Hebrews chapter 3 says this, let us run with endurance the race he has set before us. You see, God has a course for your life. He has things that he wants you to do. And he wants you to run this race that he has you on, but he wants you to run it keeping your eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. You see, we're to look at the life of Jesus. We're also to look at the suffering of Jesus and the victory that he brought at the cross. And this is what it says here. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. It says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in a place of honor besides God's throne. And then look at this verse here. It says, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. You see, when we meditate on what Jesus did, when we think about what he did, when we pray through what he did, and we personalize it into our lives, the great blessing of his sacrifice for us, it can give us strength not to give up. It can give us strength in our weakness. It can give us uh, the endurance that we need to go on with whatever struggle we have. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. So what does the Lord want us to do? Here's some action steps that you can follow today about this message. First of all, he wants us to really think about the suffering, the sacrifice that he made for us. Read it from the Bible. He did it all for you. It was has profound implications. It has the ability to transform our lives, to expand the capacity of our soul to love other people and to love God. When we really understand what Jesus did for us on the cross, what he did for us in going to the cross, what he meant by giving up his life for us, it can motivate us to give our lives to him. Number two is humbly come back to God. If you're far away from God, come to him. Just come to him. And if you are a believer and you've drawn close to the Lord, draw even closer, humble yourself before God. If you're going through something, get on your knees. Pray the way that Jesus did. Call out to him. He calls you to run the race of life and faith with endurance, so don't give up. Pray the prayer that Christ prayed, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. It's a wonderful prayer, and it's written for us as well to pray. And then the last thing I encourage you to do, number four, is reach out to someone this week. Share the message of God's love with them. Be a bridge person 
to bring them back to God, being an ambassador for Christ. You see, you can point them to the place where they can then cross over to God. Jesus became our bridge to span the troubled waters or the storms of life. He's the one that came and laid down his life for us so that we could walk in his ways, that we could know him, that we could experience his love and his forgiveness in our life. And that will uh, move us eventually right into heaven. It's wonderful. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He has come so that we could know God, so that we could know him in a deep and personal way. So I encourage you, let's pray right now. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord right now and ask him to expand our capacity to understand what he did when he went to the cross. Let's pray. Father, we want to comprehend more of what you did for us at the cross. Father, we want to understand your great love how you had to turn your face away from your son because he bore our sin and took the punishment for our sin. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We ask that you give us a desire to share your love, to share the blessing that we have come to know and understand with others. Lord, you have been so good to us. You have been so kind and gracious in our lives. Lord, we can't keep this to ourselves. We pray that you would help us to express your love to others and point them to you, the one that can bring us into your heavenly kingdom and into your family. We ask, Lord, that you'd give us the boldness and the courage to be your ambassadors, to not be ashamed, but to boldly proclaim who you are and your great love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.